0: Welcome back to the Express Yourself Black Man podcast. My name is Kizzle, or Kofi, and I'm a mental health advocate, public speaker, and founder of a Kizzle Brand, which is a project aimed at raising awareness for depression and helping people through difficult times. Studies show that on average, men lose 2.8 years of their life when they're under heavy stress. The point of this podcast is for me to gain those 2.8 years back. As a black man, society often tries to tell me what I can, can't do, or talk about which can often leave me feeling trapped. And so this podcast is my release. And if you're listening to this podcast right now on a podcast streaming platform, I just want you to know that this episode is actually uploaded on YouTube. You can watch this episode on YouTube. So if you'd like to do that, please head over to YouTube, type in Express Yourself Black Man Podcast. You can type in the episode number or the episode title, and the episode will pop up please 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 do us a favor regardless of if you're going to watch the episode on youtube or not subscribe to our channel express yourself black man that is where the platform is moving right now we are heavily based on instagram and while that is dope instagram does not pay us for the content that we post so that means we spend hours making content which helps you guys but doesn't really help us to build a platform outside of building new followers And while that's great, it's not enough. So please head over to YouTube. That way it's a win-win for both of us. You guys get extra free content and we get paid for the content that we post while also having the opportunity to have a larger impact and a larger reach to the black community. So if you rock with us, if you support us, if you're interested in helping us further the platform, please take some time out of your day to subscribe to us on YouTube, express yourself black man. I'll give y'all a couple of seconds to do that before the episode actually starts. Regardless of what you decide to do, I appreciate you for listening. So I'm here with Tanya and Shanique. Tanya is a trauma informed therapist that deals with the relationship between parent and their children. And she also deals with adverse childhood experiences, also known as ACEs. And Shanique yeah. is a marriage and family therapist that deals with and works with domestic violence victims and the person causing harm or the pch so right. tanya shanique how are you guys doing
1: well i'm well I'm doing
2: good this evening thank you okay feeling good and i'm ready to talk you okay
0: know? <laughs> awesome i like that i like the energy right so i wanted to talk about before we even get into the topic for today i wanted to just you guys just introduce yourselves and just talk about how you guys got into the field. So whoever wants to go first can go.
1: Well, my name is Tanya Dawson. I'm a licensed master social worker. How I got into this field probably is just my passion of, of, of helping people who I am innately and naturally. Mm-hmm. I think also growing up in the Bronx during a crack era, mm-hmm. see how a lot of families personally, friends and family alike that were Families were ravaged by the drug, and just you know, wanting to understand more behind that, wanting to understand the behaviors that and that were driving individuals to seek like the the outlet of like drugs for a coping mechanism. I knew like underneath that there was some traumas that were being not being addressed. I mm-hmm. also knew like in a black and brown community that <clears throat> mental health and human behavior was like the taboo, so it was unspoken. Um, and then to self-disclose for myself, like experiencing my own bouts with anxiety and depression and mm-hmm. not outlet at a young age, as a teenager, wanting to understand what was going on with me, what was happening. So the only option for me was to go on the internet and Google, what is anxiety? What is depression? Right. and so. That was unacceptable, and I knew like I wanted to be an agent of change in my community. So I was going to explore this a little further, and I knew that once I explored it a little further, meaning like I obtained my degrees, I was coming back to the community to do my part in hopes of breaking down the stigma and just having a talk. Like, which to this day, family, including my own, it's just like taboo, like eggshells to talk about. Right. <laughs> that's what just like drove me um, like
3: into
0: this field. So that's that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Shanique.
2: Yeah. So I have my master's in marriage and family therapy. When you hear of marriage and family therapy, oftentimes you hear people say, well, why you didn't become a social worker? Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, (laughs) And, you know, there's not really much of a difference between marriage and family therapists and a social worker. It's like we both kind of like, you know, uh, share the same model. We work with family dynamics and things of that nature. But however, with the marriage and family therapist, you know, it kind of like really horns into the family dynamic. You know, we can do I'm able to work with married couples, parents and children, just uh, children itself and being able to kind of like address the, you know, concerns. And whatever those concerns are that are presented. Right. I think what kind of like made me want to, you know, get into this field is because um, a little self-disclosure growing up and seeking out therapy, at, you know, as a teenager, oftentimes walking into a room and, you, you know, you're not seeing someone that looks like you, right? right? right. So it's kind of like you say to yourself, do they understand me? Do they get me, you right. know? And it's kind of like, I found myself having to explain being what, what being black means, <laughs> right. what being black is. Right. right. And oftentimes I found myself, you know, always feeling like I, as either I kind of like just stopped going
3: mm-hmm.
2: or if I ever completed or, you know, success, successfully completed, as they would say, I would still be, you know, challenging, like dealing with these, these concerns, these issues, right? Mm-hmm. So I said to myself, you know, it would be amazing to be able to be a part of this um, field and being a change agent and having someone that was my age coming in and they seeing someone that looks just like them.
3: Right. And
2: also breaking that taboo and that stigma of mental health, you know, and being able to feel okay with speaking about it absolutely right yeah. because what 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 we in the black and brown community as tanya stated these stigmas kind of like it's generational right you know and you have you know individuals now that's still carrying generational traumas from their parents and their parents parents and not even realizing why am i why i feel so heavy why do i feel like i'm carrying all of this and i think just being able to come into an office and you seeing someone that looks like you that's able to understand the struggle the what it is to be black what it is to be living in urban communities i think that's kind of like what drove me into this field Just being a change agent for our people you know and and not feeling bad about it (laughs) you know so that's what kind of like drove me
0: Yeah, that's dope. You guys both have some some really good stories into why you got into therapy and mental health. And I feel like a lot of that I can resonate with because I've been through my own bouts with depression. And and I've also had conversations with people where they talk about not having a therapist that they can relate (laughs) to and having a bad experience with therapy. And I'm just like, really? Because my therapist is a black woman. I've had a perfect experience, right? Like, it's been for me, it's been like kind of the epitome of what you'd want somebody to have what of the experience you'd want somebody to have when they first start therapy which is I found a black woman she's from my area she actually even went to the high school that I went to years before she's literally lives like a few blocks down from me the office is like 10 minutes away she understands the the lingo the slang the culture all of these different things and so it's very easy for me to have conversations with her because she can relate and we you know we can We can speak. I can speak freely to her because she's black without having to worry about changing what I'm saying and all these different things.
1: Right. Because when 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 you and it's not to say that a person of another race, you know, if they if they want to, like, because in order to be an effective social worker, you have to be well versed in your own culture. Right. Mm -hmm. Right to you and how it shows up for you right you have to mm-hmm. be well versed in that before you can become familiar or acculturated with what another one's culture and then the the thing of of that is when there's no desire to learn you, you know another culture or the people that you're serving you run the risk of pathologizing what you don't understand which which are norms cultural norms so
0: right yeah, yeah. so let's get into it let's get into the topic <laughs> so I was talking to somebody on IG today, like I told you guys, and he was asking me to do a post about abusive men and men that abuse women financially, emotionally, spiritually, like all these different things. And I was having a hard time figuring out if he wanted to post for himself or for other people. Right. And that's neither here nor there. I just want to know. So what are some traumas that can lead to abusive men? What are some things that, you know, boys go through or just things that happen in general that you feel like can lead to a man being abusive?
1: Generational trauma. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about DV in the home. Let's talk about young men who are exposed to maybe a father who is physically, mentally, emotionally abusive to their mom, right? Mm -hmm. We know, like, in family therapy, right, if a child is exposed within that system, right, out of fear, the, the child can then identify with the abuser and then the abuse becomes the the abuser, right? So a lot of times, if if a woman is not strong enough to remove herself from that situation, then children tend to, well, and it's not to say 100% guaranteed, but the risk is there, right? The risk and the resilience, the risk is there that that, that child will then go on and perpetuate the same behavior. So I feel like that are, that's definitely a, a factor that can, you know, have a man, you know, then turn like turn from a boy to a man and and repeat the same intergenerational trauma in his own family, especially if it's not addressed, right? So right. especially something that goes on long term, and again, the mom doesn't find a way an exit out of that situation. So that's definitely for me a number one factor. Shanique, you could jump right in.
2: I would say environment, where we live. Environment. Mm-hmm um where we come out and we see you know what's around us right because most of the families that I encounter you know the PCH the person causing harm is the boyfriend of the mother but not the biological father of the children right Mm. so and when we speak of that it's kind of like you know um Mom, you know, mom meets this individual in the environment, you know, the environment that they live in. And, you know, and just out of seeking love and, and and acceptance of a person, it's kind of like you have the ability, you sometimes you you kind of like reject the red flags that we see in order to kind of like find love anywhere you can find
3: it. Right. right. And
2: also like some of the even some of the men that I even counseled, it was, you know looking for the father figure out in the neighborhood and you know and seeing how they interact with women, how they interact with women within the community themselves. And some would say that, you know, they seen women being beaten by men in the community. And you know, like no one stepped up to help, you know, and it's kind of like it was this machismo way of being showing how that's how a man's supposed to treat a woman is by, you know, you know enforcing power through abuse. So Mm -hmm. that's another way, you know, what we see in the environment and, and, you know, growing up, becoming a product of that environment. So I'd like to
1: piggyback on what she just said. I would go so far as to like, when we speak about honing on African Americans in particular, right, and how slavery came about, how the black man was physically, psychologically broken down in front of the black woman, right? And so when that slave master came in, he, there was belittling going on. There was, there was no machismo, right? So that black man who was supposed to lead, protect, um, and be this masculine protective energy for the family is now being broken down in front of that woman. And so in the absence of the slave, when the slave leaves, right? There's some projection going on, right? So what I couldn't do to master, like I'm gonna do to you, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, there's also attempt to say, listen, I'm still a man. I don't give a damn what you saw him do to me, you know? Like, and so it's it cycles of that. You have women who were slaves being beat across the plantation because of aggression that black men internalized because of slavery, right? And and, and a black woman was that safe space where, you know he could go ahead and project that energy onto her, right? Some sublimation mm. on, because she was a safe space, right? So when he couldn't stand up to master, he's now beating. you know, he's beaten his wife in the home. He's beaten the children. Um, I think even the way they beat the slaves in order to get them in line and get them in order, right? Sometimes you will hear like an African-American family, Southern culture, where like my great granny would say, like, you know, come here, you little man, a heifer is a baby calf, right? And that's how they refer to Black women, slaves, right? So you are seeing like even the way we eat, like culturally, like all of these things have been passed down, but we cannot minimize abuse. We cannot minimize The aggression that was inflicted upon us as a as a people right and then we we pass it down to our children we we now like beat our children like so a lot of it is generational that is even outside the man and a woman as a husband and wife but i'm talking about like like the systematic effect of, of just slavery and racism so we have to like look at it like deeper from that perspective too so i feel like that's risk perspective too
0: <laughs> Jeez, you just touched on a point i want to kind of get into you talked about we even beat our children and that's something like I got beat growing up. And I just thought of it always as normal. I never really right. thought about why do we get beat? Because when you look at white cultures, you don't see white people beating their children.
1: Right. But then right. I
0: start to think,
1: where did it why come?
0: is it something that we do all the time? Where where does that come from? And, I, you have- and now I'm trying I'm I'm really connecting the dots. and I'm thinking it really could be because of slavery. Right. Because we're. Yeah, go ahead. Were you going to say something?
2: Would you you want to say something? To I was going to say,
0: I, I was going to say, because do you think that we were beating our kids before slavery? I think that's the question.
1: Honestly speaking, I think that when I, what I've explored of, of you know, African culture and practices, it was one of peace. It mm-hmm. was one of, if you, if I had to, <clears throat> I'm sorry, if I had to go back to, can you guys, yeah. you guys see? Mm-hmm. if I had Go back to like the natives when they embraced. It was with peace. It was with love. Yeah. I feel like as a culture, as a people, as a race, we only mirror what was was um, imposed on us, right? Mm-hmm. When you speak about this violence about black people, a lot of it again is what I, is, is what was mirrored and and repeated. Even the, the like I said, the foods. We can't even minimize the food or the diet that we now take on as a people. Um, talking about like like the, what the scraps that were given to the slaves and how they had to make the best of the ends of the corn to make like uh, on cornbread, the, the, the more fatty parts of the pig to make, you know, fat back or bacon or, you know, so I don't wanna minimize how if the way we, you know, our diet and our way of life has been influenced um, for generations, right? And how we pass that on to our children that we definitely can't minimize the the violence that,
3: right.
1: <laughs> that part, right? So, yeah, I, I I would have to say, like, I think that from what I know of as people of color, I know that, you know, again, referencing like the, the embrace from Native Americans to pilgrims, it was one of love. So I I think okay. I, I would have to say, I think that definitely we were impacted by slavery. And I, do, I would have to say, I think prior to that, I think it was one of love. I think it was one of embracing and patience and, you know.
3: Mm.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay. So let's get into the next question. Why is it important to hold people accountable for dealing with their trauma?
3: Oh,
2: <laughs> well, you know, holding people accountable when people hear accountability, mm-hmm. right? It's kind of like, it's, it's like, a, oh, wow, accountability. That means, you know, I have to be accountable for this. And mm-hmm. being accountable sometimes shows a person you know, that their behavior, to be honest, is shitty, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if no one is there to tell them like, hey, this is what you're doing, this behavior is is, is wrong, right? If mm-hmm. no one is there to tell them what's going to happen, the behavior will continue, mm-hmm. right? So holding someone accountable doesn't always have to be ugly, right? right. Accountability at times is a way of being able to empathize of a person way of their way of behavior right being Mm. able to look deeper like under the surface of just the action that they displayed Mm. and being able to see that there were more issues that they are dealing with and you know maybe taught from a childhood this is how you deal with your with your trauma like this is how you deal with your issues you lash out you fight Right. right so I had a um a client and we kind of like went back like into his upbringing and you Mm -hmm. know he said he remembered like when his when he used to fall like he used to play in the park and he would fall and his father would tell him at the age of four and five and it goes to show you how children are are smarter than we think and they Mm -hmm. remember things Mm -hmm. get up you know you're a man don't cry like you crying you're a sissy you're this you know just emasculate in the, this, this child at a Mm -hmm. very young age, but Mm -hmm. whereas his sister would fall, the father would go pick her up, coddle her, hug her, kiss the booboo. So now at this age, he's taught to be strong. He's taught not to be, being able to regulate his emotions, to feel the emotion. So now when you put him in a situation where these are like emotions that he's not used to, Right. right And the only way I know how to deal with them instead of saying, hey you know you hurt my feelings, I'm gonna lash out with physical with physical violence right And it's kind of like you have to be able to hold them accountable by letting them know that they're operating from the onset of their own trauma which mm-hmm. it shows up in their, you know, romantic relationships, just in relationships in general. I always tell my clients, right, if you do not address your childhood trauma, they will show up in your adulthood, whether it's in an intimate relationship, a professional relationship, you know, any type of relationship, it will show. So that's what I feel like, you know, holding someone accountable looks like.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And, and it's so... I'm so glad you said that, because when I first started therapy, what I was telling people was, hey, you don't want to be the person that years down the line, you start thinking, dang, maybe I should have got therapy to address this thing. Maybe this wouldn't have happened in my life if I didn't act on this thing that happened when I was younger. And so I was telling people, like, I don't want to pass on anything to my kids that would be detrimental to them. Like, of course, there are going to be things that happen that are out of my control or things that I may make mistakes with. But for the things that I can be cognizant of and help to, you know, solve now before I have kids, that was one of the main reasons why I stayed in therapy and pursued therapy because I didn't want to traumatize my kids for lack of better words. And so I'm so glad you said that, like all the things that you don't take care of as far as your childhood traumas, they will show up in your adult in your adult life. You'd be lucky if they only show up in your adult life. They're showing right. up all throughout your life in all these different facets that you're right. just not aware of. Right. It's so crazy what we're not aware of that our subconscious mind is, is operating on.
2: And it's also amazing some of the things that we are aware of, but we choose not to confront them. Mm-hmm. Right? So let, mm-hmm. we, have, we also have to talk about that, right? Mm-hmm. The accountability piece also consists of you knowing exactly what you're doing but you're choosing not to address it, right? You continue, you choose to continue on with the behavior and mm-hmm. just expect everyone to accept, you know, the saying, you know, that's how he is, right? And right. that's not enough, right? Mm-hmm. To go on, well, this is how he is. That does not give you the right to to inf- inflict this this drama and this chaos on someone you know clients that I encounter always say you know the ones that always try to be there and help me the most is the ones I inflict the most pain on because what and I would ask them well why would you do that because if they were able to stay around and to deal with it then that means that they loved me right so Mm. it's kind of like so the more hurt that you place on a person that goes to show you that shows you or tell you that they love you enough to stay. Right. But what do you think about this pain that you're inflicting on them and how it, how it's affecting the individual, right? right? Cause everyone has a breaking point.
3: Yep. Right. Yep.
2: So we, we also have to understand that. And I'm so happy when you stated that, you know, you decided to stay in therapy because you didn't want, whatever you were dealing with to affect your children. Now that's what accountability is as well. Right. It's being responsible, not only just for yourself, for the children that you bring forth into this world, right? Your children are not, your children shouldn't have to heal from your pain, right? And that's what a lot of, you know, men that are PCH and I also work with women. You'd be surprised how many women, are identified mm-hmm. as a person causing harm as well. And it, that they don't really know what accountability looked like because no one held them to it. So.
1: And I feel like accountability is necessary for healing.
2: Right? right. right.
3: Um,
1: I think, you know, as a trauma-informed therapist, looking at adaptive patterns ruptures that happen in the person's childhood prior to them becoming a mom, right? I feel like um, in your family of origin, a lot of who we are, you know, like you said, subconsciously, we walk with it and it comes out. And I think you have a responsibility to heal yourself before you become one, because you we, I don't feel we have a right to show up and love another person in an unhealthy way. I don't feel like we have a right to impose our trauma on another person without stepping back and like you said taking accountability and saying you know what this like i'm for me i'm going to set a boundary because i understand and i understand what that what that looks like and like how you said how it can continue to show up generationally i feel like it's a responsibility for me to protect my children if i found myself in a space with someone who's unhealthy and unwilling to acknowledge you know where they what they're giving off and what their traumas are so very necessary um for healing for, for the sake of healing and I think the reason why we, we do what we do is not only to understand what's happening to us why am I the way I am like those things that kind of drive one to go into therapy but to also ultimately heal and and right. just break you know, generational curses of it so wow.
0: absolutely absolutely and so Shanique you had a unique perspective we were talking about domestic violence and the person causing harm. And you were saying, well, I show them compassion. And I was Mm -hmm. like, wow, that is so interesting that that was your first response, especially being a woman and speaking on men that are 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 causing harm, being able to empathize with these women. So for you to show these men, specifically men, compassion, I felt like that was a very interesting perspective. And I kind of wanted to dive a little deeper into that. Right. Why do you feel like it's important to show compassion to people dealing with trauma and issues in their life?
2: Because some people have never been shown compassion or grace, mm. right? So, mm-hmm. or because you may have encountered an individual that have, have history or incidents mm. of abuse, right? Mm. It does not mean that, you know, I should treat you, you know, as a clinician, as a therapist, to treat you in a way where it's not conducive to your your healing and to your services, right? Because mm-hmm. it's my job to remain, you know, not to judge and not to be biased, you right. know? And I have experience of, you know, DV, where I have every right to kind of like just pounce on a PCH. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you know, when there, you encounter one that, that really know that, you know, I didn't know what I was doing to this individual and how it affect, uh, affected them because this, this is what was done to me. And this right. is what was normal to me, right? right? And we right. have to be able to look at other people's history, right? Because right. what's normal to me may not be normal to you, right. right? You know, you have some individuals that grow up in homes where they're seeing mom and dad fighting on a regular, right? And right. And they're not seeing anything else outside of the home that's showing them what is a healthy relationship. What does a healthy relationship look like, right? They're seeing nothing but chaos, trauma, fighting, arguing and everything like that. Hmm. So this is how I'm gonna move on in life until someone is able to tell me what, what I am doing is wrong right Mm -hmm. and this is where the compassion comes in because you have to be able to speak to that wounded child within that individual right Mm -hmm. because some of them because some of these clients are still functioning from their onset of trauma Mm
3: -hmm.
2: right and this is the only way that they're able to cope and deal right which when you're dealing with someone that's dealing with unresolved trauma hurt pain what happens they kind of like connect with someone's trauma
3: bonds right
2: right mm-hmm. so you connect with someone and what happens with that it's it's an explosion again and until somebody is able to come into this and to one of these individuals lives the pch i should say and let them know hey this is where your onset of trauma and this is where you're functioning from right and Mm -hmm. letting them know that there is alternative ways to address conflict right and being able to provide them with the skills and interventions to to help them to regulate their emotions in a way where it's not explosive it's not abusive it's not controlling it's not manipulative in a way where they're able to function in a healthy relationship and i have had some success stories and I have also encountered some stories, some clients where they know who they are.
0: Right,
2: I am an abuser. Wow. I have people tell me, like, I am an abuser and I'm OK with
3: that.
0: Man, like that right <sighs> like there? That.
3: <laughs> like that. Like that. right there,
0: I don't know. I, I don't know if I could do that, to be honest. Somebody just saying, like, I'm OK with being an abuser. Like, well, I think you... my my first response would be like, well, I'm not
2: right but for me and that's my that's a natural response to have but it's not my place as the 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 provider the clinician the professional say well I'm not okay with that because what I think and what I feel my person I don't need my personal biases to show up Mm. right because you also have to be mindful that sometimes clients say things to you to get a rise out of you to see how far they can go with you right so you Mm -hmm. also have to keep that in mind it's manipulative tactics right Mm -hmm. um when you're dealing with people that's that's narcissists that you know they get a they get that's how they they feed off of that right of your reaction right so it's like Mm -hmm. oh yeah i got her so let me keep going when you don't respond the way that they expect you to respond then it's kind of like okay i didn't phase her you know, and mm-hmm. even though I think that it's wrong, right, it's not for me to say that's wrong. What it is for me is to get to a place where we're able to discuss
3: mm-hmm.
2: what is going on, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: How the abusive behavior affected them, their loved one, their partner, their children, mm-hmm. whether how their um their behavior caused, you know, agencies like acs the police to come into their home and see how it's affecting them right right when you're able to get underneath or try to get underneath and be begin to you know get the wheels turning you know and it's not going to take one two three sessions five six sessions some clients just need intense therapy Like, Mm. you know, it's a point where maybe some psychotropic meds may be needed.
3: Mm. But
2: you do have those where you still have to show some sort of compassion. Because compassion is being able to make a person feel human. Because just imagine, like, if you're held by every mistake that you made, not saying that domestic violence is a mistake right yeah. but some cases they have a one-time um incident
3: mm-hmm.
2: right so we have to be able to you know make them feel human like humans right because they are and they just need to be shown that you know yes your behavior it caused these issues mm-hmm. but what can we do differently and that's where the I- compassion comes Go ahead,
1: tanya I- like speaking to that wounded child a lot of times wherever the rupture and the trauma exists that's where the person is stuck developmentally emotionally and i feel like in therapy therapy is a sacred sacred ground
3: right. where
1: a lot of times you as the clinician right we know that as a clinician and as a therapist you cannot do any type of therapy without empathy passion period period. Right. Even with the manipulators, even with the narcissists, even with the, the, the abusers, right? But in therapy, we, what we do is we we provide and we facilitate a corrective emotional response to it. So like mm-hmm. you said, Janique, instead of meeting the abuser with the same attitude and aggression, you are going to meet this abuser with some type of empathy and understanding, look, listen, I understand that something happened to you, right? You were once someone's baby, right? And that, that's what for me as a social worker allows me to, to soften me to look at a, a person who is the abuser aggressor the narcissist and provide that space for them and I think that when you provide that space for them and you soften um the blow and that that interaction it allows them to like bring their guards down and receive whatever it is that you know so it's like a, a very soft dance you're having with the client when you may even be reenacting the role of the person who was supposed to stand up for them and protect them did it mm-hmm. so now you have this opportunity to create a corrective emotional response. And then there'll be some transference that take place, right? Because that's what's going to happen. Some counter transference where, you know, that you may even feel a certain kind of way about them, but it's definitely going to be some transference that take place. Definitely, You have to to acknowledge that transference, hone in on it and use it to promote healing. So for me, that is where and how um, I would use empathy and compassion to a client because you can't. You can't do the work without empathy or compassion. You can't,
0: right? Man, you talked about the therapist playing a role to reenact and like promote a corrective emotional response. And I feel like my therapist definitely played that role as a black woman. A lot of times my mom wasn't home and my mom is also not physically abusive, but she was, she has, temper tantrums to the point where you know when I was younger she would throw things around slamming Mm -hmm. things and all these different things and as a child that created this level of anxiety in me yeah and then also she was kind of emotionally unavailable emotionally unavailable just by way of just not being available a lot of the times right because she's always working And the only time I saw her maybe was nine o'clock and by that time at at a young age I was I was sleeping and so I feel like I've told people like I feel like my therapist as a black woman has helped to kind of fill that void and give me that Mother, you know, yeah, mother kind of vibe, right? Yeah. Mother nurturing vibe mm-hmm. that I always kind of wanted for my mom growing up. Right. Um, I, so I'm so glad you said that.
3: Yeah, it's
1: very provocative at times because as a clinician, I may find myself the energy that's being exchanged. You right. feel it, intense because mm-hmm. now this individual is experiencing you as the mother, as 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 the lover, right? Mm-hmm. Right. You have to, as the clinician, you know, tread very lightly make sure clinically you direct that energy and use it to you know, respond. Like how you said, if, if, as a child, if you have, if you, there was a rupture, your mother may have responded like, roar like that, right? right? And in therapy, right, you, me, I find myself as a clinician put, like, like offering that grace, like Shanique said, just validating what Shanique was saying, why we would show empathy and compassion to the abuser, to the narcissist, to the aggressor, to the man who beats his wife. And all I was saying was that in order to do this work, we, we, we operate from like, like doing like, like unresolved trauma, unresolved conflict. When a person is resolved, they are able to show up um, right. irregardless of whatever traumas that they experienced. When, when we think about how our parents, the work that I do is trauma-informed. and I'm looking at what happened uh, specifically to the parent when they were a child. And then I'm asking mm-hmm. the parent, can you go back and look at what happened to your mom when she was a child, right? Mm-hmm. And so when we do that and we look at our parents and, and individuals from that perspective,
3: mm-hmm. we
1: say, ah, I get it. Now I understand why my father was the way he was. I can imagine why he would be an alcoholic or I can imagine why my mother, because they were what someone's baby and someone was abusive to them. And, someone was, and this is why I even took it back to slavery, right? Like." Mm-hmm. A lot of what we and the way we respond and we interact is traditional and it's passed down. And so when I look at my parents and I look at who they were and their flaws and the way they show they did or did not show up for me. Right. I was able to forgive them because I was able to go back to generations and see where the trauma happened to them. And, and to understand that, that they were a small child. They were once someone's baby. They were once not protected the way that they should have been. And someone didn't show up for them. And so for right. me, you know, entering this field and learning social work, I'm able to forgive not only my mother, uh, my father, my lovers, my friends. right? Because you're understanding what's driving that behavior. Right. Um, but That does not mean that I'm going to let you off the hook and not hold you accountable, right? because mm-hmm. now what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, hey, I'm holding this space for you. I'm providing a holding space for you where I'm understanding and I'm loving you. Right. But mm-hmm. now in order for me to continue to, to, to exist, right, because I can't destroy me in the name of loving you. Right. Mm-hmm. I need for you to show up and want to do the work because I'm here and I, I'm hold your hand and I'm not going to let you go. And I'm you're not alone. But I, I can't not give you permission to not be healthy in my world and love me, right? right? And so that that's that's ultimately how we can show right. compassion, show love, show empathy to the abuser. And but ultimately, honest, if you call yourself a clinician, you you do have to know. I think for me, what comes up for me, I, and I still struggle with it, is. The sexual abuser. So we all, like you said, you can't sit next to the the abuser, the man. Who, like, and for me, I I, I kind of am challenged when I sit with you know sex offenders, right? But again, I, that's a, um, a place that I challenge myself to to be able right. to say, well, someone wants abuse this person, and that doesn't mean that because I'm showing you empathy that I'm letting you off the hook to where you should not address or change those maladaptive behaviors. So
3: also,
2: you also you know it also allows you to show clients that they are operating in survival mode. They've been operating in survival mode their entire life. Right. Mm -hmm. And what survival mode consists of, it's like the dog eat dog world. Right. Mm -hmm. It's either I'm going to, it's either going to be me or you. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, and it's not going to be me right so that's the survival mode in it and they take this survival mode way of thinking and they kind of like imply this in every aspect of their life every relationship that they encounter right so it's kind of like instead of i'm going to hurt you before you hurt me that's what right. that looks like right? right and being able to show them that you don't have to show up this way in every relationship right, right. because they're not operating from love. They don't know what love looked like, you know, cause love wasn't normal to them. It wasn't normalized to them, but surviving, you know, surviving, being able to be that five-year-old and go to, go to sleep that night without having to get beat down by their father. That's, mm-hmm. that's what survival look like. And they carry this on in their lives, right? Mm-hmm. And the genogram, like what Tanya was stating, like a genogram will really show you where the onset of trauma begins. Right. That's why I love doing genogram with, with the my clients, the PCH. It begins to show them that and they they begin to tell you, like, you know, from what I heard, you know, my great great grandfather used to abuse my great-great-grandmother. Mm. Right. And to them, it's kind of like they don't make that connection because we're not taught to look back in generations because you know, we don't we're we're not responsible for what our ancestors or our grandparents, you know lives when they were, you know, here. Right. Right. But if when you do a genogram, that's the beauty of a genogram. It begins to show you where the onset of trauma begins.
0: Right. 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 Wow. So a genogram, explain that process like without going too crazy in depth into it. What is a genogram?
2: Well, basically, Tanya, you can um, jump in as well. Genogram kind of like gives you like a, a history. I normally go back to two generations, like it's the, the client, their parents and the grandparents. And not only through
1: a genogram, are you only exploring from me?
2: No, it's, it's, a, it's and the I, genogram I is beautiful. Like it's,
1: I feel like it's important to explore not only the fi- family dynamics, but the genetics. So right. now I want to know you know, does, you know, patho- psychopathology run in your family? Is there a history of bipolar disorder? Is there a history of schizophrenia? <laughs> Black and brown families don't want to do this, but here goes little old me that went to school for social work, and I want to know, mom or dad, was there mental health in your family? Like, and it's like, oh, what are you talking about, baby? No, 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 no. I'm going to hold your foot to the fire. And I'm going to force these conversations to be had. And so that's also like a part of accountability before you go jumping into a relationship with a man, understanding what his history is, what his gene pool is. And that genogram would allow you to explore that. So now you you, you you're not you're, you're not only looking at the, the dynamics and how this man was raised and whether or not he was raised in survival mode, right? Whether or not mm. he was raised in survival mode. You're also exploring potentially what your children will be inheriting, exactly. right? Mm. So I think, I think, I think with that being said, it, it, on that note, there's accountability on both sides. You know, the man and the woman has a, a responsibility to hold themselves accountable or take some accountability and what they're getting themselves into and what ultimately will be repeated Mm. in this union. Um, If you're not paying attention to how someone was raised, like Shanique said, it's what someone raised on survival. What does that look like? That's operating from trauma day in and day out. That is draining, right? right? And so if you're operating from trauma, are you trusting your husband? Are you trusting your wife? How is that impacting your children? All of that is um, very necessary in regards to like holding a person accountable and even holding yourself accountable. Because for me, I'll I'll turn the mirror right back to me. I can't be out here talking about accountability and I can't, you know, hold myself accountable. You know what I mean?
0: Right, right. Wow. Okay. Dang, you guys, this has been a really, really, really good conversation. Before we end, I want you guys to plug in your social media, like wherever people can find you.
1: So we are on IG at Safe Space Talk. Am I saying it right, Shamit? Right. Yeah. Safe Space Talk on IG um, mm-hmm. it's a platform. And at some point, we're going to be um, offering sessions, one-on-one sessions individually. But we're just getting started as social workers and marriage and family therapists and just human um, mental health providers, just understanding the need to for people to look like like ourselves in the community, that's very necessary. So we're in the very beginning stages of creating this platform, even the the, the company, and that's where you can find a safe space talk on IG.
2: So if you want the proper spelling to for Safeway Talk, right? Mm-hmm. So it's S as in Sam, A F E, S as in Sam again, P A C E T L K. It's okay. not the A. So don't go in right. there trying to incorporate
0: yeah that's <laughs> how you'll find us on IG right okay safe space talk without the A on IG without
1: the A right thank you thank for
2: emphasizing that
0: thank you Tanya and Shanique for the conversation the gems all the knowledge I really appreciate it
2: Thank you for allowing us to be on your platform, like on your podcast, to be able to speak about this. So we just want to thank you because you're kind of like paying it forward to, to us and allowing us to be able to, you know, to present our um our agency yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's and it's dope. And hopefully in the near future, when we get our podcast going, you'll return
3: you the you Absolutely. <laughs> right. Absolutely.
0: You know it. Thank you for taking the time out to listen to this episode. I truly, truly, truly appreciate you. So I really hope you got some valuable insight and I hope I helped in some capacity, whether it be through the platform or the podcast. If you'd like to support for free, you can like this video if you're on YouTube or you can share and subscribe regardless of what platform you're listening to the episode on. If you'd like to support monetarily, now we are talking, you can go to shop.expressyourselfblackman.com and get yourself some merch. We have a hoodie, we have sweatsuits, we have shirts, we have hats. We also have an ebook on how to heal where I discuss breakups, depression and suicidal ideations, anxiety and attachment styles. I go in depth about my story with dealing with all of those things and then I explain how to heal in an easy guide. It's easy to follow. It's easy to go from reading to implementing. So if you're interested in that as well, it's in the shop. The book is called From Hurting to Healing, A Black Man's Guide to feeling so consider supporting monetarily but regardless of how you support i appreciate you hope you have a great day